I don't know, Teddy Roosevelt's speech was good, but it had a lot of holes in it. I'm Joe Fulgham. The Palm Doloff. That's one European prize you don't want to win. I'm Kevin Leeson. At two, caustic soda. I'm Torrin Atkinson. Assassinations. What kind of assassinations? Well, uh, you know, when you start researching something like assassinations, pretty much every murder ever comes up in yeah. uh, whatever research <laughs> yeah, sure. you start doing. So uh, I, th- I figured we'd narrow the focus down to assassinations that had a political agenda okay. or a political assassination. Right. What's the difference between assassination and an execution? Uh, well, execution is usually state-sponsored. Okay. Right? And you uh, take somebody out somewhere and, and have them executed, such as, like, head chopping in the uh, French Revolution. Sure. Electrocution in modern Call America. Call back to our beheading episode. Mm-hmm. And decapitation. Well, here, I'll, I'll read the uh, paper definition. Oh, I sure. Uh, assassination is to murder, usually a prominent person, by a sudden and or secret attack, often for political reasons. And that was the launching off point, which I figured we'd do our assassinations episode. Would you say that John Lennon was assassinated? I know some people would. I think he was murdered. Okay. Now, what's the difference between an assassin and a hitman? Well, an assassin doesn't necessarily have to get paid, whereas a hitman is all about getting paid. It's death dealing for money on the hitman front, whereas assassins will do it for ideological reasons, because of mental instability. So uh, the etymology for uh, assassin derives from hashishin. Or Hashiyashin, or Hashishian, Hashishian. Uh, and it shares its etym- etymological roots with with the word Hashish, and it referred to the Nizari branch of the Ismaili Shia, founded by Persian Hassan Asabah during the Middle Ages. Uh, they were very active in the fortress of Alamut in Iran from the eighth to the fourteenth centuries, and also were in charge of the castle at Masyaf in Syria for a stretch of time. They were a group of people who were known for political killings all over the Middle East. And that's how Hashishin or Hashishian became synonymous with killer for political reasons. Right. And that is, and that is of Arabic origin. And there's some debate over whether or not these, these Hashashins actually took hashish. Yeah. I mean, there's um, like, there's these myths about how they would like smoke hashish and be brainwashed by the old man who was in charge. Right. And that's, he would convince them that this was, when they were on hashish, they were in paradise, and that they could only get back there if they did whatever he said, mm-hmm. and the whole nine yards. But there's 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 not a lot of uh, historical proof for these sorts of suppositions, right? It seems like that they were just put they were putting them down as an epithet. Oh, those those hashishins, they're that because we call them that because they smoke hashish all the time, yeah, and they're worthless, which yeah. doesn't seem to have any sort of basis in fact. It's right. it's, it's spurious. I mean, it might be true. Right. But it, but there's no evidence there's that no they evidence did. to suggest that it is true. And it seems likely that somebody would just use that as an epithet to uh, insult their opponents. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, it's certainly debatable. You're saying if I smoked hash, I wouldn't have an urge to go out and kill someone? <laughs> no. I don't, I've never smoked hash, so I wouldn't know. You would probably just want to kill a pizza. <laughs> That's the reason that I haven't smoked hash. I was deathly afraid of becoming the world's deadliest killer. I'm totally going to assassinate that snack. <laughs> With my um, mouth. Um, 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 uh, and the uh, Hashishin were largely eradicated by the Mongol Empire in 1275 or thereabouts. That sounds like something they do. 
Yeah. They, they were kind of eradicating just about everybody. So uh, the fact that these guys got caught up in it was pretty much... Can you just imagine Genghis Khan? Hey, we're coming in there. Oh, political killings? They just like, uh, yeah, wipe those guys out. Yeah, they, they, oh, all those guys who live up in that castle? Yeah, any of their political opponents, they like come down and sneak into their bedrooms and kill them in the middle of the night. Well, we better send in a whole big army of horsemen and uh, just kill them all. Yeah, wipe them out. Good. So suffice to say that that was probably a, uh, a good stratagem from a military perspective. Right. Uh, and uh, the earliest known literary use of the word assassination is in Macbeth in 1605 oh. by Shakespeare, if you didn't already know. Or the Scottish play. <laughs> I mean, obviously, assassinations, uh, much like our hand-to-hand combat episode, have been going on since, like, the beginning of time, right? Mm. Like, anybody you didn't like who was sort of in a position of power, like, okay, well, you know, we don't want them in power Kill anymore. Kill them. Kill them. Like, when you have... Well, I mean, when you had a system of kings or emperors or whatever, where they like... Or even had, chiefs. Or even chiefs that had tenure for life. You're like, okay, well, then in order to get them out, I got to end their life, right? You yep. know? But <laughs> I've always one of those guys who'd be like, let's do elections. Let's have elections. Yeah, uh, I've decided... Democracy. ...to stagger at my throat. Maybe we should all get together and vote. <laughs> Probably one of the earliest recorded instances of uh, murder for political reasons uh, is King Eglon the Moabite was murdered by Ehud. What? King Eglon the Motobike? <laughs> <laughs> he was a Moabite. Oh, a Moabite. And he was uh, he was killed by Ehud around 1337 BC, and it's written of in the Book of Judges. So that's how come we know that it might have happened. What is this Book of Judges? It's Book of a... Judges from the Bible. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. I didn't realize there was judges in the Bible. Yeah. I guess God judges everybody, doesn't he? It's a very judgy book in general. <laughs> so, of course, you've got Philip II of Macedonia, who That's was the Alexander father. the Great's father. Yeah, Alexander the Great's father, and he was uh, he was he was assassinated by one of his own bodyguards. Oh, stabbed in the back. <laughs> well, might have stabbed him in the front. I you suppose, know. or the neck. Yeah, when you're when you're feeling particularly stabby, uh, and the other guy doesn't have like a shield or another sword or something like that, it's not too hard to. Stab him from whatever angle you're coming at. Him. Sure, I suppose that's true. I can't argue with that. Julius Caesar, of course. W- where our salad comes from? <laughs> yes, precisely. In fact, and the drink, the bloody it, it, Caesar. Well, in fact, that's what they called it. Like they were tossing his salad when they uh, when they killed him. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. We use that term differently these days. I know. Imagine how it's changed over time. Not to be confused with the Caesarian salad, which is much, much different. But he was stabbed as but well. But equally bloody. He was. He was stabbed often. And frequently <laughs> by a cadre of his like yes. closest advisors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Et tu brute, as the uh, as Shakespeare wrote. As Shakespeare yeah. wrote may have been artistic license, but it seems to be the some people. Some people. Some people have said he said nothing. Somebody else said he said, uh, "And you, son, or a new child?" Some people may have said he said. <laughs> I mean, certainly in the ancient era, I don't think there's an assassination more. Uh, famous than Julius mm. Caesar's. Right. We talk about entering into like the Christian era in the AD years. Anno Domini. Anno Domini. Assassination, I, you know, it seems like a relatively frequent occurrence. I mean, yeah. although in Western Europe, it was quite rare. It was the Eastern Roman Empire blinding and strangling in the bathtub were commonly used procedures. Strangling in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I thought I found that one very interesting too. It's like, well, that's where you're most defenseless. When I was in uh, when I was in Budapest, I was backpacking across Europe and ended in Budapest. They actually had a tour where they would take you around the to bathtub show you... strangulation tour. No, no, this Can was I different. Sign up to this that? was this was they uh, they would take you around to show you where all the people like all the big political murders were done around oh, the okay. city, and most of them 
were uh, defenestrations. Oh, the throwing through the window. Throwing out the window from a great height. Nice. Because <laughs> the, uh, the <laughs> castle in, uh, in Buddha is like literally on a cliff's edge. So if you get thrown out of one of the windows on one side of the castle, you fall like 500 sure. feet onto like the rocks below. And so there were a bunch of cardinals and princes. Here, and... Caldner, look out this window. Look at the beautiful sunset. <laughs> Shove. <laughs> yeah. I'll get you for that. <laughs> Hoist you up by your belt loop. So like you went around and they would take you on this tour and tell, show you all the places where people were, like thrown out of windows, right? And you're like, a lot of people have been thrown out of windows in this town. So I think, I think they kind of like the mode of assassination – like anything, they have trends, right? So they have a kind of like, you know. We should bring back the defenestration, yeah, really. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, I think is the uh, the ancient philosophy when it comes to assassination. Well, we've certainly got high up windows again. Most of them don't open, though. Yeah, that's the unfortunate part, right? But in 1584, William the Silent of the Netherlands was killed by pistol. So they, named because? Uh, when he died, he went, he didn't even croak. Because we're like... <laughs> Just squeaked. Yeah, William the Silent was the title he got posthumously. Okay. Uh, but he was one of the uh, the first political assassinations by gunfire. It's like Jesus the dead. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln the molding. It's a good one. I just gravitated towards that one because you've got all these people around you, bodyguard-wise, all looking for knives or poison to throw in your face or whatever, other way, whatever way they can take you down. And then some guy comes out and blows you away with a flintlock and uh, realize, oh, we need to come up with a better method. It's a whole here. new game. It's a whole new, this is a game changer, no doubt about it. Uh, but, it, you know, entering in the modern era, you've got, you know, it's, it's falling off from the medieval age, yep. but still relatively common. I mean, I mean, you take Russia, for instance. I mean, Russia alone, four emperors were assassinated in less than 200 years. I mean, it seems... Mm. People aren't waiting for their natural, for natural death to take them off the throne. Yeah. It's well, like, actually, you say that for within two hundred years in the United States, within a hundred years, four presidents have been assassinated. Yeah. Well, exactly. Abraham Lincoln, James Garfield, William McKinley, and John F. Kennedy. Yeah. Precisely. Right. So, uh, but there's a big gap between McKinley and Kennedy. Right. It's like eighty out of those hundred years. But all of those are within a hundred years. Well, and. And there Three have of been, them were within like 20 years. Yeah. That's the more impressive thing. And there have been 20 known attempts on U.S. presidents' lives. Yeah, I guess it makes it a lot harder to protect these guys when you've got like guns and sniper rifles and yeah. explosives. And the, the, yeah, the, I think it's just a matter of there's more people and there's more right. easy ways to kill someone. Right. The general idea about assassination is it's bad, but all you need is one guy out of a million. And then you've got 300 people in America who are fine with it. Right. They did this study based on known attackers in like 19th century and 20th century, 25% of attackers were found to be delusional, uh, a figure that rose to 60% with near lethal approachers, people who are apprehended before reaching their target. The more delusional the attackers are, the less likely they are to succeed. Uh, I mean, you got to be cold and calculating to pull it off. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. You got to be crazy to do it, but not so crazy <laughs> that you're going to attack him with a rubber chicken. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> you know, like uh, you know, an attempt on Reagan because you think that uh, Jody Foster wants you to do it. Yeah. Right? yeah, they seem to have tapered off. I think that democracy has sort of leveled the playing field a bit because you don't yeah. you don't need to kill them, get them off right. of their their reigns don't last sixty years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not sitting there going, "Oh God, like how long before Stephen Harper is out of office?" I know, five years. <laughs> Good Lord, years. right? You know, so you, it, it's not really the, the sort of the political tool that it ever was before in the past. So. No, our political tool is Stephen Harper. 
So I guess that, you know, I mean, maybe we just uh, bring up some of our sort of favorite uh, assassinate. Well, not favorite. That's wrong. Put it. <laughs> well, I have but... a favorite because it didn't work. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, president of the United States, was campaigning in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. God, you got to love this guy. October 14th, 1912. And a saloon keeper named John Schrank shot him in the chest. But the shot only penetrated his steel eyeglass case, passed through a thick uh, folded copy of his speech that he was going to give, and then only lodged itself in the muscle of his chest. Now, Roosevelt was an experienced hunter and anatomist, like he would Uh, carve things up with his knife that he hunted. And he correctly included that since he wasn't coughing up blood, the bullet had not completely penetrated the chest wall to his lung, and so he declined suggestions he go to the hospital immediately. Instead, he delivered his scheduled speech with blood seeping into his shirt. He spoke for 90 minutes, and his opening comment to the gathered crowd was, Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot, but it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. That's a pretty famous line. And yeah, Yeah. bull moose was the name of his political party. Yeah. That is badass. I would vote for that guy. I don't even care what he stood for. I would vote for him. Ironically, the speech was so long. And also so bad because there are so many words missing from the bullet hole. Yeah, exactly. And I, <laughs> you mix in the loss of blood too, and he probably got pretty like dizzy near the end of that speech. This is pretty famous. I mean, everybody remembers where they were when Lincoln got shot, right? <laughs> yep, I was uh, non-existent. One of my favorite books of all time, Assassination Vacation by Sarah Vowell. The Lincoln assassination factors heavily the narrative of that book. I mean, it's got to be one of the most famous political assassinations of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Wilkes Booth. The thing that people don't really get about him is that he was a famous, famous actor. He was very well known in the acting circuit. Also a Confederate sympathizer. Oh, very much so. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, there's there's no doubt in anyone's mind that John Wilkes Booth pulled the trigger and did it because he didn't like what Abraham Lincoln was standing for with yep. respect to the um, abolition war. of slavery. Yeah, the abolition yeah. of slavery. So terrible racist, obviously, but damn, he did a damn fine King Lear. There was a number of conspirators. They were supposed to kill Seward, the Secretary of State. State, yeah. And Vice President Andrew Johnson. There you go. One of them uh, tried to bust in on Seward and he misfired. You're talking about Johnson's the, assassin? Yeah. The, uh, he lost his nerve and fled. Yeah. I mean, there was a, uh, there, there were, they were all supposed to happen simultaneously. And of course, Lincoln was the only one who was actually yeah. fatally shot. They all ran out into the woods and took up uh, residence in their predetermined rendezvous location and were... Uh, tracked down and shot by Boston Corbett, a Union soldier who acted against orders 12 mm. days later. Well, there you go. Rural Northern Virginia. Of course, Lincoln was shot in the back of the head. Absolutely. Made a bloody mess, I'm sure. Robert Todd Lincoln has a link to all three of the first American presidential assassinations. Who's Robert Todd Lincoln? Uh, Abraham Lincoln's son. Okay. He was the son of Mary Todd. and uh, RTL. Then the second president, Garfield, who was assassinated. He was Garfield's secretary of war. <laughs> and uh, McKinley. McKinley was, was killed at, a, uh, at an exposition. Robert Todd Lincoln had been invited to the exposition as the president's special guest. And he was in the building when McKinley was shot. It kind of gets around. So uh, don't hang out with Robert Todd Lincoln if you're president. That's the rule. He's a bad penny. <laughs> He's a bad penny. Franz Ferdinand. Archduke of Austria, Austro-Hungarian and Royal Prince of Hungary and of Bohemia, and from 1889 until his death, heir presumptive of the Austro-Hungarian throne. Uh 
His assassination in Sarajevo precipitated Austria-Hungary's declaration of war against Serbia. This caused Germany and Austria-Hungary and countries allied with Serbia, the Triple Alliance powers, mm-hmm. to declare war on each other starting World War One. See, here's Important the... historical assassination. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. this is definitely ranks up here as one of the more important ones as far as the long-term effect. But here's the part that I didn't get. You got this guy who's a member of a terrorist organization, the Black Hand. The Black Hand. Right. And he this assassinates is, uh, the Archduke. This is Gavrio Princip. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. <laughs> uh, Don't dispute me. <laughs> or I will be assassinated. A young 19-year-old member of Young Bosnia. Yeah. So here's the thing. So you got this guy who's a member of a terrorist organization who's been throwing grenades and blowing up bombs and shooting people for a while now. And he shoots, sure, he, go, he goes out and he shoots the Archduke, your, you know, your presumptive heir to the throne. So you declare war on the country he's from. Mm. I never really understood why the actions of this one, it's not like he was a state-sponsored assassin. It's not like he rolled up in, uh, you know, with the coat of arms on the side of his truck and he's wearing a uniform and he's like, uh, in, in the name of Serbia, I execute you for crimes against mm-hmm. Serbia. I have never understood why. I mean, the only thing is the whole realpolitik thing. It's like, okay, well, now we've got an excuse exactly. to invade this other country. And they just uh, sort of jumped at the opportunity. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that doesn't happen anymore. That nobody attacks, say, the United States. No crazy terrorist guy attacks the United States. And, and then, then they attack the, and they invade the country that they think he's in. That, that, that doesn't happen anymore. Of course, then the dominoes started to fall, right? Ferdinand and his wife, Sophie, uh, were, had been attacked with a grenade was thrown at their car mm-hmm. earlier. Ferdinand deflected the grenade and it detonated far behind them. He deflected them. Deflected it with what? Does he have Amazonian bracelets? He might. Yeah, yeah. Ting, ting. Maybe uh, it was like one of those... Austro-Hungarian sp- bracelets, Joe. It was one of those hats with the spikes on it. He went, tink. <laughs> he hit it like a tennis it, shot. It landed on the spike and he quickly unbuckled the chin strap and threw it away. <laughs> so the royal couple insisted on seeing all those who were injured by the deflected grenade mm-hmm. at the hospital. And after traveling there, they decided to go to the palace. Their driver took a wrong turn onto a side street where Gavrio spotted them mm-hmm. uh, as the car was backing up. He approached and shot Sophie in the abdomen and Franz Ferdinand in the jugular. He was still alive when witnesses arrived to render aid. His dying words to Sophie were, Don't die, darling. Live for our children. Uh, uh. <laughs> wow. Pretty good dying expert. And then Sophie also died en route to the hospital. Oh. I, well, you know, shot to the abdomen back in the day. Yeah. You know. Rick Geary. Do you guys know who Rick Geary is? He's a comic book artist. He's a writer. comic book artist. And he is, contributed a story to Panels for Primates. Oh, look at that. Huh. Call back to the follow-ups episode. Rick Geary has a series of books called Collection of 20th Century Murders or something like sure. that. And he deals with the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, Lizzie Borden, like all that sort of stuff, right? And basically sort of tells the story, but does it graphically, right? Okay, yeah, well, it's comic novels. book, yeah. Not in that same collection, but definitely in the same style. He did the life and history of Leon Trotsky. Who is Leon Trotsky? Well, he started out, he was a uh, he was a very wealthy landowner's son. And uh, quickly Where? in Russia. Yeah. 
in Ruski. Yeah. And he, he quickly became disillusioned with how his father exploited the labor of the workers that worked underneath him to garner great profit and all the rest of that stuff. Okay. And so he became an activist of some kind? became an activist. At like, I think at 17, he disowned himself from his family and stopped talking to his father and like sure. went to university and started writing books and meeting all the right people and all the rest of that stuff and became one of the fathers of communism and uh, was Lenin's right-hand man in, in setting up the government after the Civil War. So this is the early 1900s then? This is the early 1900s. Like this, you know, like he really became an activist kind of in the very, very earliest stages of the 20th century. And then, of course, in 1917, when during the Russian Civil War, he's a big political figure. The Bolshevik victory? The Bolshevik victory. And he's, he was like Lenin's right-hand man in the whole nine yards. And then, of course, when Lenin dies and Stalin takes over... Stalin doesn't really have any time for Trotsky because Trotsky's the only one who kind of swings as big or bigger a political stick as he does. Okay. So he, so Trotsky quite rightly decides it's time to get out of Russia now that Stalin is in control because he's having all these pogroms and like all of his uh, political friends are all being slowly rounded up and thrown in jail and sent to Siberia and all that. Sure. So he runs to France and like any great man starts a second family. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's got a couple of daughters back in Russia with a wife and then, uh, you know, gets... Uh, well, you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. Well, he met this 20-year-old girl and, uh, you know... Oh, well. You know, I mean, what, what do you got to do, right? Man has needs. <laughs> so uh, he sets himself up in France and then, you know, when communism really becomes a dirty word, like all over the Western world, in America and in Europe, and no one will harbor him anymore, like mm -hmm. he was... He he went to France as a as a like a political refugee basically, sure. and no one would give him safe harbor until he got invited to um, South America, and he moved in with uh, Frida Kahlo and uh, oh. and uh, his, her husband and lived with them for a while and had like a little extramarital affair with Frida and <laughs> just just like yeah, humping everything in sight. Eventually, Stalin started sending assassins there to find him and. Uh, He'd, uh, really? Why? Uh, well, he was afraid that he was going to organize. Was he going to uh, come back? Well, he he was a big player in the Comintern, the international communist movement. Yeah, so he was writing a lot and writing a ton. Oh, right? that's powerful. The powerful stuff, right? So Stalin was like, I, I thought it was just hanging out and boinking free to come. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he wrote a couple of key works, uh, including History of the Russian Revolution and The Revolution Betrayed. Yeah, which I'm sure Stalin did not. So, yeah, he sent a team of assassins in there and they broke into his house and like shot the entire house up with automatic guns. And but he wasn't at home. So then then they, they went into like deep hiding. But by that point in time, somebody in his circle of friends, a uh, Russian agent who was a, you know, an Argentinian national had become like close personal friends of this. And he so he was just invited over to the house constantly and always hanging out. And uh, one day while Trotsky was writing a bunch of letters, he came up behind him with an ice pick and stabbed him in the back of the head. Oh, with an ice pick. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Did the old brain stem severing and he like died right there at his desk Ugh. with an ice pick in the back of his head. Pretty crazy time in the 60s. I mean, you got JFK, you got Bobby Kennedy, like back, basically back to back. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, like all dropping like flies within like right. a five year period, all politically motivated. Mm -hmm. You got like all the biggest figures in American politics were all falling at the hands of gunmen with agendas, right? right? It's hard to even put yourself in the place of what was going on back then, right? Like we all sort of know the details like of all these killings. You know, Malcolm X was gunned down with like a couple of guys with sawed off shotguns at a, a speech in Harlem and they were all subsequently caught. Martin Luther King was killed by a lone gunman who, you know, stayed on the run for like a month or something like that. And it was eventually caught. 
JFK, I mean, even like, you know, you get, they got Lee Harvey Oswald before he can ever testify or anything like that. He's killed himself, yeah. right? And then Bobby Kennedy's killed by Sirhan Sirhan, you know, at a uh, political function where probably going to be, you know, swept into office as the next chance he gets to run for president. And think of being Ted Kennedy at that stage of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about marked for death. Holy yeah. free holies. I mean, you must have just wanted to go underground, but it's like the exact opposite of what you should do, right? Now you understand why Catholics have so many kids. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I guess it, as agents of change, actually, I got a flashback in time because uh, <laughs> we're going to time travel here instantly. Because, of course, all of us being Canadians, we should talk about the only federal Canadian assassination. What? Who? I don't even know about this. What? Nope. Go. These are people who have never lived in Ottawa. Darcy, yes. True. Thomas Darcy McGee, who was known to his friends as Darcy McGee. Take funny there's, McGee. There's a damn fine pub named Darcy McGee's in Ottawa. And uh, he was an Irish nationalist, a Catholic spokesman, a journalist, and a father of Canadian Federation. Hmm. To date, 2011, he was the only Canadian victim of political assassination at the federal level. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's our one... uh... Who killed him and why and how did it happen? Well, a little bit of history on Darcy McGee, because if you guys don't know about it, I'm sure many of our listeners don't either. Uh, but he, he actually originally immigrated from Ireland to America okay. and became prominent in Irish-American circles uh, because he founded and edited the New York Nation and the American Celt in Boston. Uh, but uh, in 1857, he became disillusioned with the uh, the way things were being done in America and uh, emigrated to Canada in 1857. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1858, so pretty short order, he got himself elected to the Legislative Assembly of the Province of Canada and started working towards Canadian independence, which, of course, was achieved in 1867. Okay. So he's one of the founders of the country. He was involved in uh, the, re- the patriation of uh, the state and all the rest of that stuff. I knew all of that. And uh, But the, the reason he was controversial was because he's a very prominent Irish immigrant. Right. When he came to prominence, there was a faction called the Fenians in the States. How do you spell that? F-E-N-I-A-N. Okay. And they were very radical Irish nationalist group who thought that Canada should be annexed by America. In fact, there was a Fenian invasion. Uh, of three? Uh, well, in the uh, it was the thing that started the War of 1812. The Fenians invaded Canada in 1812, and when the British Army counterattacked, they marched down. They're the ones who started the War of 1812, and they marched down and burned the, the, the White House to the ground. Oh, okay. Darcy McGee was a moderate and had no time for this whatsoever. Sure. So he always, the Fenians were always, because he was so prominent, they always wanted him on their side and he always rebuffed them, right? Right. So on April the 7th, 1868, uh, McGee participated in a parliamentary debate that went on past midnight. Welcome to the 19th century. <gasps> oh my God, that's the witching hour. No kidding. And he uh, walked back to the doorstep of a Spark Street apartment and while turning the key in his own lock was assassinated by Patrick J. Whalen. Shot him in the neck and the jaw. Oof. Knocking his dentures out. Oh, no. Yeah, that'll do. That'll I'm happen. I'm going to need those. <laughs> so Patrick J. Whalen was a Fenian. Uh, he was accused, tried, convicted, and hanged for the crime. He was hanged in front of an audience of 5,000 people, and it was the last public hanging in Canada's Canadian history. Oh, okay. Wow. Mohandas K. Gandhi. He was shot at point-blank range by Nathuram Godsey, or Godsey. That was a little bit like Godsey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, apparently, since 1934, there had been five unsuccessful attempts to kill Gandhi, and he was outside on the steps of a building where a prayer meeting was going to take place, and surrounded by his family and some followers when three gunshots killed him. You got to shoot him three times to take out Gandhi. Yeah, they, they definitely... They... He's so skinny, you miss a lot. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Olaf Palm. You guys know this one? Olaf? 
O L O F P A L M E. Oh, okay. Palmy. He was uh, he was killed in 1986. Recently, I was alive. Uh huh. Yeah. Palm was the leader of the Swedish Social Democratic Party. And Sweden. He was the two-term prime minister of Sweden. Okay. He was walking home from a movie. Was shot in the back. Shot in the back of his of body. His body. Yeah. It wasn't shot in back of anywhere. He was out in the street. <laughs> it was actually a, a relatively public shooting. Like they were out on the street, and he, he and his wife were walking home from the movie theater. That he'd, they'd met his. Son they had and... just seen the mask of Zorro. <laughs> Little Batman reference I, there I for actually, you. I don't have the uh, the movie that they had just seen. Okay, it was it was probably something by Bergman, right? Probably very depressing. Sure. You know, they were being uplifted by their uh, their their walk, brisk walk home. He was kind of a radical leftist. So there's all sorts of theories about who actually did him in because he. Had... Oh, they didn't find him. They didn't find who did it. No, like this is a uh, um. That's the crazy part. Totally unsolved. Ooh. Well, Ooh. it is and it isn't, right? Okay. I mean, there were a lot of witnesses. There were two girls in a car very close by. There was a uh, a taxi driver who used his radio to actually call it in. Sure. So, like, there was an ambulance on the scene in less than five minutes from mm. the shooting, right? Wow. That's how it goes and in Sweden. Poli- police responded, like, less than ten minutes later. So, there was a very quick, quick response time. They still didn't catch the, uh, the perpetrator. But... Two years after the assassination, so 1988. Graduating high school. They, uh, That's me. They arrested a guy named Christer Pedersen, a, a small-time criminal and drug addict. He was arrested, tried, and convicted of the murder, but was later overturned on appeal for lack of evidence. Okay. So it's still officially unsolved. And, uh, you know, I mean, whenever a head of state gets murdered and the the crime goes unsolved. I actually, I saw a documentary about this like 10, 15 years ago. It's fascinating because nobody knows for sure who actually pulled the trigger and killed a head of state, right? One of the theories is that this Pedersen guy, the guy who was actually arrested, but then his conviction was overturned on appeal. The reason that they arrested him is because supposedly when he was in jail, he confessed to the crime and uh, and it was, you know, the guy that he was in that sort of turned him in, that he was in with. And he confessed to the tr- crime because he was looking for a rival drug dealer that used to walk that beat. And that uh, he mistook him for this other drug dealer and <laughs> shot him in the back. And I'm sitting there thinking because to myself... Because he was so well-dressed? Or... Yeah, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, that sounds like bunk to me. Because what are the odds that a prime minister, especially one who's probably in his, like, 50s or 60s, is going to yeah. look like a rival drug dealer... And uh, so that, that story... The doppelganger was, theory. Yeah, that one always wrong, kind of false with me as well. There's a guy named Victor Gunnarsson. <laughs> Gun's right in his name. <laughs> and he was, he was a political extremist. And uh, he actually uh, moved to America and was subsequently murdered himself. And uh, after he himself was killed, a bunch of his acquaintances came forward and said that he had confessed to the crime. Oh. And that it was politically motivated because... Now that he's dead. Mm, now that he's dead. But it's sort of then there's the whole thing. Oh, so he moves to America. And in a very short amount of time after he moved to America, he was murdered, right? Mm-hmm. So then you can, like, you can imagine the, the born identity plot here where he, right. like, the guy, the killer runs to America and then they send a killer after the killer to kill yeah. that killer to make sure he never talks, right? On foreign soil and the whole nine yards. And so. then you gotta get a killer to kill the killer yeah. and then you gotta get a lion to eat the deer or <laughs> eats the mouse who eats the fly. Yeah, so his name has come up. Like it's been, he definitely was kind of running in the right political circles to sort of have a bone to pick with uh, um, with Palm because Palm was very critical of US foreign policy through the 60s and 70s, very critical of 
Russian foreign policy. He used to like give safe harbor in Sweden to um, to extremists from all over the countries. Like he accepted a bunch of when the when Chile was going through their like purges and death squads were wanting the streets and killing people left, right, and center. He would take Chilean political refugees in. He had like an open arms policy towards these guys, and he actually was supplying arms and uh, and money to the ANC in South Africa. ANC, what's that? The African National Congress. Okay. That was uh, Nelson Mandela's, I'm air quoting, terrorist group. Okay. And so he was he actively backed the ANC in their anti-apartheid stance. So that comes to our actual next theory. Okay. Was that uh, that the South African government actually had him killed because of his open support of anti-apartheid. And so he had ANC. lots of enemies. Lots and lots of enemies. In fact, there's a, a guy named Colonel Eugene de Kock. And it was him who claims that he knew the assassin. The assassin was another army official called Greg Williamson. Another South African former security forces guy comes forward and says that he knows the actual assassin. This is another guy named Anthony White. And it was all due to them like actually <sighs> throwing money and guns at, at the ANC. And so this is all politically motivated as well. We're just never going to know anything. Well, except for the fact that the Red Army faction, the German like, communist terrorists mm -hmm. that were sort of active in the 60s and 70s, they actually claimed responsibility for it. Oh, we did it. Yeah, yeah. But it was like probably one of those sort of like nobody else sort of stepped forward. So like we're kind of losing our juice here in the, uh, <laughs> on the whole like yeah, worldwide communist front. It's like we did it. We're totally badass. We're relevant again, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's uh, th that one is sort of nobody really takes that one seriously. It was definitely it was a theory. Day to wake up on. What a happy way to greet the dawn. Some 
fine day the news will flash Satan with a small mustache is asleep beneath the lawn When that man is dead and gone When that certain man is dead and gone, gone, gone When that man is In the pop culture. Pop goes the culture. The pop culture? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's a million movies about assassinations. A million? Actually, you're probably right. Yeah. Probably <laughs> probably. I, the, the sad part is, it, in, because of the narrowly constrained uh, terms in which you couch this whole thing, I can't talk about the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, even though that movie is awesome. I'm not going to talk about it. But you can talk about... I, I can talk about Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, he goes to that political function with the uh, intention of... Uh, with the mohawk. With the mohawk and the, the gun hidden up his sleeve with that like, little kind of automatic uh, ejection yep. thing that he's got going on there. And who is he going to kill? He's, he's going to go kill the um, the political candidate that, uh, that what's her name? Sybil um, Shepard. Sybil Shepard works for. Right. You know, it's one of those things like frustrated desire. Like, is it, this is going to be his... Is it really, is he doing it for political reasons or just unhinged, right? He's one of those unhinged guys. I mean, it's kind of ironic that the guy who goes, to, that the character who's in love with Jodie Foster, the prostitute, in the movie goes to kill a political guy. And then the actual unhinged guy in real life who falls in love uh, with Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver goes to kill Reagan as a result. Yeah, he even claimed it was his obsession with Foster in that movie. Yes. Yeah, no, he did. That made him go made after him Reagan. So he was actually being Travis Bickle in real life. That is effed up. I know. That's like complete full circle right there. That's a life imitating art or life influencing art, I guess. Or art influencing art. I watched a movie last night. Wow. Called The Baker. So the very recent news. <laughs> yes. Uh, a British movie, I believe. European. Let's okay. say that. <laughs> For somebody who does so many accents himself. Well, no, because it starts out, you're not sure where it starts out. Okay. Probably, I don't know, London. <laughs> and the, Why did you have to say London like that? The main character is on an assassination job. He drops into some German guy's bathroom. Yeah. And he points a gun at his head. And he says, you're going to disappear. If you ever come back, I really will kill you. So he's giving up. This is his last job. And he doesn't even want to do that one. Yeah, right. Okay. So then his rival, who's played by the guy on Game of Thrones, the handsome blonde. Um, Not Sean Bean, then. Nope. The handsome blonde guy from the other family, the Lannisters. The Lannisters, thank you. Nicolaj Coster-Waldo is the name of the actor. Okay. As Sir Jamie Lannister. Okay. Anyway. That guy. He's the rival. He's basically the bad guy in the movie. Okay. The main character has to get out because he didn't fulfill his contract. The bad guy killed, ends up killing the German guy. This is all in the very first scene. First couple minutes, yeah. So the main character has to disappear. So he moves to this sleepy town and becomes the baker. All right. And I would say it is a black comedy. Oh, yeah? I had no expectations of it. I, I started watching it because I went to Netflix and typed in assassination into the search bar. Oh, yeah? Three movies came up. I started to watch the first one. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be a slow chug. Uh, and then I went, tried this other one, and it was delightful. And you're delighted. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So a movie that no one has ever heard of and yeah. probably even fewer have seen 
And uh, going to get a recommendation here on Caustic Soda. So well, it, it stars uh, Band of Brothers Dick Winters. Dick Winters. Damian Lewis. Oh, yeah. He's good. It's he's... not by any means a great film, but yeah. it's, it's funny. It exceeded expectations. It's kind of a screwball, right. ridiculous good time. movie. On the exact opposite end of the scale from that, The Bourne Identity. Mm-hmm. Who does he supposed to kill? He's supposed to kill that like African leader, the guy who – that's the thing that ends up kicking it all off. Spoiler alert here because this is the big reveal at the end of the movie. He's an assassin who's supposed to go on this guy's boat and kill him. Mm. And he goes up to kill him and as he gets really close, he realizes that the guy's like three-year-old daughter is sitting on his lap. So he can't bring himself to do it. So then he ends up getting shot and loses his memory. Right. And that's what sends him spinning off out of control, right? I mean, they, they end up killing that African lead in the first place, but the catalyst for the entire film is this assassination attempt. Right. So uh, there's that. Sure. Okay, I have an assassination attempt movie. All right. The Terminator. That's not politically motivated. He's the leader of the free humans, or will be. Oh, yes, that's true. Taking out the leader of the resistance. That's pretty political. Okay, all right. I will give you that. I'll give you that. So the entire series is about trying to pre-assassinate. You know what's in the exact same vein as that? The Dead Zone. Yes. Good call. Uh, for Walken. Yeah, Walken has to end up killing the uh, the candidate for president because he can see the future and sees that if he becomes president, he will push the big red button and end the world. Right. So uh, The he, shiny candy-like button. Yeah, so he's he pre-kills the president just like uh, the Terminators. So Christopher Walken is, in effect, a Terminator. It makes sense that world. it explains why he talks that way. <laughs> his, his vocal subroutines have weird built-in pauses. <laughs> yeah. Guys! Yo, Sarah Connor, <laughs> I have a message for you. I'll be back. <laughs> I need your shoes, your coat, and your motorcycle. A movie that I actually enjoyed that nobody else in the world seems to have enjoyed, but it has an assassination in it, Mars Attacks. I love that movie. Oh, yeah? Act, act. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all I, I remember from don't the Don't run. We're friends. Yeah. Who gets assassinated in that? Uh, the president, played by Jack Nicholson, oh. right in the White House. Assassinated by the aliens? Yeah, the big, tall, booby one comes into the White House <laughs> oh, and kills him. The big, tall, booby one. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, in the line of fire, where the entire plot of the movie is to actually Clint Eastwood to prevent somebody from assassinating the president. Oh, yeah. Who plays the president? Uh, I don't remember who plays the president, but uh, Malkovich plays the assassin. Oh, okay. And Eastwood plays the... Uh, the um, anti-assassin? The Secret Service person. Oh. Who is uh, the only one who believes there's an actual assassination attempt coming. And the guy keeps calling him directly because he uh, he was supposed to dive in front of a, a, an assassination attempt before. He was supposed to get in the line of fire. In the line of fire, and he didn't do it before. And so that's oh. why he, this assassin is targeting him, right? Um, I know we weren't going to talk about any more attempts, but then, of course, there's Valkyrie, where the entire plot is the attempt on Hitler's life. Oh, yeah. Well, no. there's a movie with a successful hit on Adolf Hitler, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, much better movie. So much better movie. A uh, movie I saw within the last year was uh, Milk. We didn't really talk oh, yeah. about Harvey Milk's assassination, certainly a political one. We can talk about it now. Well, it, it was... Because I actually was... haven't seen the movie and don't know anything about it. But this is, oh. the, this is the one where they innovated the Twinkie defense, right? Yeah. Where uh, the assassin was found not guilty by reason of mental defect because he claimed he had incredibly low blood sugar right and so he didn't know what he was doing and doesn't remember it all and like, right you know, there's no idea of the consequences of his actions and whatnot <laughs> yes. and you know in fact if only he had had a twinkie if only he'd had a twinkie harvey milk had been uh fighting for gay rights and uh and freedom from oppression uh, when was this uh the uh, assassination was in 1978 
Yeah. So he had been in political office and for a while by that he, point. Yeah. He had been uh, finally elected to the uh, San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Mm-hmm. He was America's first openly gay elected official. Yeah. George Moscone was, he was also the mayor of San Francisco. Right. And uh, worked with Harvey Milk. And uh, this guy, uh, yeah, he was, was he was a former supervisor, so he had been on the Board of Supervisors, Dan White. He just went right to City Hall, walked in saying he had to talk to them, and then shot them both. What a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. If, if played by Josh Brolin in the movie Milk. Yeah. And the movie really hints that Dan White was actually a closeted homosexual and had a lot of self-hatred. The Twinkie defense actually worked for him. Yes. And that caused what are later on known as the White Knight Riots. Should we go to Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country? I, yeah. I have never seen it. We all know your feelings you, on Star Trek. You, but, uh, yeah, the idea is that there is an assassination attempt. There's a group of people who want the United Federation of Planets to have peace with uh, the Klingon Empire, and there's mm-hmm. a group of people who don't want that to happen. Right. Yeah. So there's a assassination attempt on the president of the United Federation of Planets, among others. Right. The Manchurian Candidate. Oh, of course. Both of them, one and two. Uh, the, well, the I remake? shouldn't say one and two. But. I, I've, seen, I've seen the original. I never watched the remake. And I'll I've tell seen you, both. I'll tell you why I never watched the remake. Because I'm watching TV and the trailer comes on. I go, oh, the remake of The Manchurian Candidate. How interesting. And in the trailer, yeah. they give away <laughs> the fact that his mother is behind it all. Oh, wow. You just gave away... The yeah. entire plot twist. This would be like maybe that was they thought you want the plot twist to be. <laughs> this is the new Manchurian candidate. I suspect not. And it turns out <laughs> that the mother was actually being mind controlled by aliens. It could have happened, but I suspect not. You'll never know because you didn't see it. I didn't see it, and no. I won't. Neither did I. I don't think any of us have actually seen this, but it's in theaters now. It's the conspirator. It's about the Lincoln assassination. It's about the first woman to go on trial and be executed by the state i was interested in seeing it which is usually well, we a good can sign. Go on a date then <laughs> caustic soda date yeah, movie date check out the conspirator uh if anybody wants to go to caustic podcast.com if you've seen it already and let us know what you think we'd love to hear from you that story about um the woman who had the boarding house where they kind of plotted the assassination attempts oh, we touched on the assassination of julius, julius caesar yeah. which mm-hmm. was portrayed in the tv series rome yes mm-hmm. quite bloodily so <laughs> well it probably would have been pretty bloody yeah Good series, too. Yeah, very good series. Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. video game. It's right Assassin's the Creed, the series of video games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really, really well done game. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not a hardcore gamer, but I even heard that uh, people talk about Assassin's Creed because it was supposed to be so well done. It really got the parkour feeling right, like that you can yeah. just run around the city, run up a wall, grab onto a little thing, jump up and grab the top of the building and then get up on the roof and run around up there. Just even doing that and jumping around and, and running is so much fun. But then on top of that, you're a total badass who's going around killing these uh, political figures to make the world a better place. Right. Like you're a so kind of a this, good guy assassin. Is this a historical thing or a modern day thing or a futuristic it's thing? It's kind of, kind of both futuristic and historical because this isn't really a spoiler because it happens very quickly in the first one. The character you're playing is actually a near-future descendant of all these assassins. And this large company has got this technology that allows you to go through your ancestors' memories, which are somehow magically encoded in your DNA. Right, Right, yeah. And so they can kind of hone in on certain memories. So they put you in this thing and then turn this machine on, 
and all of a sudden you are reliving his memories. While you do get to move around as this modern day guy, all you do is, you know, basically hear cut scenes and talk to people and then go lie in this thing. And then all of a sudden you're the assassin. And in uh, the second one, you actually meet Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, yeah. Uh, as one of the characters. He actually ends up inventing a whole bunch of like cool items that you use. So <laughs> even though it's in the past, you get these kind of weird steampunky almost right, uh, right. assassination techniques. And then the uh, the last video game I want to mention is uh, literally about an actual assassination. It's called JFK Reloaded. Sounds terrible. So are you supposed to assassinate JFK or are you supposed yeah. to stop the assassination? No, you were, it's almost not even a game. It's more of a simulation. What they've done is they've created a game where you are up in the book depository at the window with the same rifle that he has. And as it starts, JFK in the car comes around the corner. Everybody is placed exactly the same way that they are in the Zapruder films. You're up there and you get to take your shot uh, or three shots. Yeah. And when you're done, that's all that the game is. You get your shots and it goes to the outcome. It'll let you do slow-mo replays and see exactly how it works. They've built into it all sorts of actual bullet physics, including tumbling, uh, the bone structure inside the people so the bullet can ricochet around and it shows you the exact path the bullet takes when you take your shot and all that other kind of stuff. And it gives you a score based on how close to the actual results from the actual killing. Uh, so if you manage to uh, kill JFK with a headshot and also hit another guy in the chest but not hit uh, Jackie Jack, Kennedy, yeah. then you get a lot of points. But it's what's awesome about it is if you maybe you miss, it can hit the car and because the car is metal, it'll bounce a certain way and it might hit another guy somewhere else and it might bounce off the inside of his skull and go a certain way. Like it shows you just how weird bullet physics can be once they start hitting things, including humans. It kind of disproves the argument, well, this is a magic bullet if right, it did it, this it, and that. Yeah. No, bullets can do that. It's meant and this, to debunk This simulator conspiracy. shows that it can. It's kind of disturbing to play through it. And there's, there's a lot of outrage over this game. And it's imagine. now free online. So if you, if you Google for JFK Reloaded, you can probably find it for free. I mean, the, uh, the only book that I wanted to talk about was uh, Assassination Vacation, the Sarah Vowell book. Yeah, I love her. She's great. Basically, she goes on road trips and goes to all of the actual places that play prominently in the three presidential assassinations from the 19th century. Mm. She goes see some, some of the graves. She goes see some of the sites. She goes see some of the like commemorative museums. And yeah, so she makes a travel around and, and just we're in a road trip, like weaves in the narrative, about all the things that happened and like mm -hmm. all this stuff about Robert Todd Lincoln. I learned by reading that book, right? That's where I got all that info from. And, so it's a, uh, yeah, it's a really entertaining read. She's a fantastic writer. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Assassination Vacation, if anybody has a morbid sensibility whatsoever, and by listening to this podcast, I suspect that you do, <laughs> you should probably read this book. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da.